You already know what time it is. It's the Bronx Bias Podcast Episode 95. Yeah, you just want to party. You just want to lap dance. You just want to Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode number 95 of the Bronx Bias Podcast. I'm your host, my name is Denzel, and we are back like Jordan wearing the faux five. I want to start by saying thank you to everyone who tunes in who likes, who subscribes, who shares, and who supports. Thank you to everyone who is active and engaging with me on the social media platforms. I truly, truly, truly appreciate all the love and all the support I receive from y'all. Thank you to all the essential workers out here who've been battling this COVID since the start. And finally, thank you to all the people who are out here using their voices to affect change in a positive way. We always, 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 always have to start the shows with the thank yous because the thank yous are very, very, very important. Please do not forget your boy Denzel has official Bronx Bias podcast merchandise available for purchase and the brand new Bronx Bias blog. The site where all of this is available is at bronxbiaspod.com. Come check it out. Come fuck with me on there. I've got hoodies. I've got t-shirts. I've got tote bags. I've got COVID masks. I've, I've got stickers along with the brand new blog, which will serve as an extension of my podcast. Um, the blog space will be really a place where I can discuss certain topics that I couldn't cover on the show or where I ha- could cover topics that had to be edited out of the show for reasons like, you know, too much time. You know what I mean? I don't want you guys listening to a three and a half hour podcast. So I had to figure out a way to get these opinions off. You know what I mean? So the blog is the place where I'll be doing things like that. I've got four pieces, count them, one, two, three, four pieces published on there right now and i'll be trying to publish one new piece per month to the blog also very important the bronx bias blog is an open platform if you are a writer or an artist of any kind and you would like to display or publish your work somewhere the bronx bias blog can be the place for you whether it's an op-ed piece some poetry a drawing or painting 
music, or any other art, just hit a bro up and we can possibly work together to get your stuff out there. You do not, and I repeat, do not have to be from the Bronx to have your work featured on the Bronx Bias blog. All you have to do is reach out to me. You can send me a DM or you can fill out the contact form that is on my website and we can work together. And as I've said a million times on this platform, you guys have heard it. I'm an independent potter from the BXNY. So all the support I can receive on the merchandise and the website is very, very, very much appreciated and super important to the show. So please check it out. Once again, the site is Bronx biaspod.com for the podcast merchandise and for the blog and with all of that being said we are going to have a great 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 show today fully 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 packed and i'm in an amazing mood i'm in a tremendous mood and i am ready to go so let's get it I am in a very, very, very good mood. Today's intro was an amazing, amazing, amazing song by a tremendous artist, but I got to be honest, what inspired the song for today was literally Taco Bell, and I'll explain after (laughs) I tell you guys the name of the song. Today's intro is called Get Into It by Doja Cat off of the album Planet Her, and literally, I'm watching television And I noticed that these Taco Bell commercials keep coming on with this song in it. And um, to I really I hadn't downloaded this song to my library. I'd heard it a few times, like in passing at the grocery store or, you know, somebody's car driving by. But I never listened to it. And I literally kept hearing this song in Taco Bell commercials. And it inspired me to play it. (laughs) It inspired me to play it today because it's a really good song. I actually never really heard it outside of the 30 seconds, you know, that would be on Taco Bell uh, commercials. (laughs) But really, when I actually sat down and listened to it, I really enjoyed the song. And so shout out to Doja Cat. Like, I'm a fan of her. Like, I think she's funny. I think she's a good singer, a very talented artist. She just won a Grammy with SZA. Shout out to SZA and Doja. And uh, I really wanted to show her some love. So shout out to Taco Bell, number one. Shout out to Doja Cat, too, for a great song. (laughs) And it really like shows you that you can be inspired to hear different, you know, you can be inspired in a whole bunch of different ways to play songs. And uh, I will not I am not above sourcing my music for my intros from popular media and or Taco Bell commercials. So shout out to Doja Cat. Shout out to Taco Bell for this great song for today. Now it's time for my favorite, 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 favorite segment of the podcast. It is called Bronx Facts. For those of you guys who do not know, or maybe it's your first time listening to the show, Bronx Facts is the segment I like to do at the beginning of each show, just to give one fact about the Bronx, New York, that people may not know, that people may have never heard before, just to try and show how many great things, how many great ideas, and how many great people come from the Bronx, New York. So, without any further ado, your Bronx Fact for today is... The Bronx Opera Company, or the BXO, founded in 1967, is the only opera company in New York City other than the Met to have produced operas in each year since its inception. 
The BXO's mission is to present operas as fully integrated works of musical theater set to great music by known and unknown composers. The BXO strives to broaden the audience for the art form. This broadening is accomplished by keeping ticket prices low, where no ticket to a performance will cost more than $35, performing all operas in English, and finally, by all the work that they do with the schools and community organizations in the Bronx. All of this work strengthens the BXO, enabling them to carry the banner of the Bronx throughout the area and around the country and the world. For more information on the company, you can visit them at their website, bronxopera.org. And that is your Bronx Fact for episode number 95. Damn, son, where'd you find this? All right, all right. We're getting right to it today. We have a very, 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 very special guest it's only special guests that appear here on the Bronx Bias Podcast. So today, we have special guest Linda Coyasso, who is a Bronx-based opera singer and teacher. Linda, thank you so much for taking some time out to talk to me today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. All right. It's very, it's very, very good to have you here. You know, we've been trying for a while to get on the same page. (laughs) Finally got it happening. I'm very thankful to have you here. We're going to have a great show. So Linda, can you tell the people where are some of the places that you can be reached if they want to get in contact with you or even see all the work that you do out here with your singing and your teaching? All right. So there's a lot. So you can go to my website, first of all, lindacoyasso.com. Linda Colazzo, also C-O-L-L-A-Z as in zebra O.com. Um, you can also find me on Instagram. That's another great place to reach out to me. Um, Linda Ritza, R-I-T-Z-A. Um, Facebook, you can look up Linda Colazzo, um, comma, mezzo, soprano. So mezzo is spelled M-E-Z-Z-O. And I'm trying to think. I mean, on YouTube, you could easily just look up my name and opera, and then you will find lots of content there. Um, but yeah, on my website, there's an email tab and all that stuff. So like you can like, well, not an email, contact tab, and you have my email there and, you know, any inquiries, any questions, I'm always open to that. So I'm very reachable through those those uh, channels. All right, great. You see, we, when I, I make sure I have my guests come on and tell the people where they can find, be found because... When we have an interview or it's a good interview or some, you know, the audience really likes the guest. The last thing I want are my DMs flooded saying, well, where is this person? Where can I find this person? So we got to make sure we put all your stuff out so the people can find you. Oh, yeah. Sounds good. All right. So let's get right into it, Linda. Um, I know recently that you were just at an engagement at Opera Naples in Florida. So can we start the interview by you telling our audience and me? what that experience is like, what is required of you, and what you do when you take a residency at a uh, an opera house. All right. So I am at the level in my career where I'm called a young artist. So there's um, there are different levels to being an opera singer, first of all. So there's a student, then eventually, hopefully, you get to be a young artist, then you're a young professional, and then you are a professional. 
So basically for this residency, it was called a young artist program. And what that means is I kind of like graduated from being a student basically to like being more involved in an opera house. They're expecting a certain amount of like professionalism, but they also understand that you're, you're like graduating from being a student. So there's also like patience and training that also comes into that sort of um, program. So it's performance practice and, you know, having to be expected to perform and sing and all that stuff um, and be very, you know, you have to be very, very prepared, but there's also a leniency, not exactly to the extent of like being a student, but there's a leniency in that they're teaching you how to be a professional performer. So um, from these whole things, basically um, in Opera Naples, your schedules are jam packed in these programs. Typically you are housed, you are, um, you stay in like, for me, I stayed in, in Naples, Florida, which is a very beautiful, luxurious part of Florida that I had never been to, but I will definitely be back after that. It was very beautiful, but you know, on top of being housed in like a, a gorgeous town, you know, you're expected to show up to rehearsal every day. Sometimes we had days where we were rehearsing from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. There were some times where like we um, performed like at least five times in a week, which is actually a lot. <laughs> um, and, you know, on top of rehearsals and, and stuff like that. But it was the first time I was in a program where I wasn't just, sorry, a backup for someone. You know, like I've done these programs before where I'm only in the chorus or I'm covering for someone, which means that I'm the backup for someone if someone gets sick on stage, right? I sing the role if the person singing the role is unable to. This was the first time where I wasn't that, where I was the actual professional performer on the stage that was engaged to like do these shows. So it was very scary sometimes, um, but I knew that I was ready over COVID. I worked with my teacher and he, he like <laughs> really pushed me, you know, even in moments where I was very tired and like wanted to stop or I was very doubtful. He was like, Linda, you gotta keep going. He was like that like Latino parent that's like, mm -mm, you gotta do more. <laughs> and he pushed me so much that by this point, I was ready for this program and it was very intense. There were moments where it was extremely stressful, but it was very much worth it. And I'm really happy with the experience. Good. That's it. So what is it like to perform this style of music? Right. Because, you know, opera, we we know about opera when we were kids. We watch the Bugs yeah. Bunny cartoons. They wear the Viking helmets. Right. And it's usually big people and they're singing really passionately. Yeah. So what is it like on the vocal cords? What is it like on you having yeah. to perform this strong level of singing that, you know, the average guy can't walk off the street and do that? So what is that like for you? What is that? Experience? Um, so I, I keep learning more and more about how much it really takes. Um, some people are naturally able to sing this way. So like for me, you know, I grew up playing music my whole life. But when I had gotten into LaGuardia High School and I was asked to sing classical, because that's the that's the core curriculum for all vocal majors at LaGuardia, I was just able to do it on a whim. Um, and like it was kind of it's kind of like an imitation game for me where it's like I could just imitate the sound and it came out very authentic. Right. But past that point. Right. You can be naturally able to make the sound of an opera singer. 
when you choose to go to the professional level, it very much is like preparing for the Olympics. Um, yeah, it's like training nonstop. And that's why like this program in Opera Naples was so intensive because that's kind of what it is like when you get to that professional level every day, like at least two to three hours a day of just full on singing. And you do have to like test your body. Like it, it's like a lot of developing into your voice and not only developing into your voice, but developing into your body because like, it's such a, it's not just about the voice. It's about your whole body being involved in creating that sound and having that support. So it's, it's a lot, you know, like I came back from opera Naples, like at the end of March and I, you know, reason like rightfully so I'm taking a little bit of a break from practicing so much, you know, because it was a lot every day I was doing so much. Sometimes I only had one day off for the whole week. So yesterday I had a rehearsal for the first time and I hadn't been singing for like at least a week and my support was off, you know, like, so it's like kind of that thing where it's like, if you're not practicing every day, like your muscles will forget. So when you are engaged and when you're singing so frequently, it's just so important that you have a routine and it's, it's a lot of devotion, a lot of TLC, a lot of commitment. Um, just making sure you're always up to speed. It's, it's a lot, but it's fun. Like if you truly love it, it's fun and it's really fulfilling. So, yeah. I just thought of a great title for this episode. We'll call it the Olympics of singing. Cause that is what you described. Yeah, that's t- how it is. <laughs> opera, opera Naples or any opera house it being the Olympics of singing. When you, when you first got involved with, with, with classical, mm-hmm. did you, did you think that, okay, I'm going to do this because I can, like you just had that ability to maneuver your way into it. But did you have any other singing like styles mm-hmm. that you were interested in? Like, was classical always your first choice or was it like, okay, I'll do this just cause I can like, how, how does, how does that fall for you? So that's a really good question. And this is something I always bring up to my students um, who are confused. <laughs> um, basically I had grown up playing in rock bands and listening to rock music and listening to salsa, listening to like, you know, more pop, you know, I love Britney Spears. I love dancing. Like, and uh, my first int- instrument was piano. So like, I was like a singer songwriter. I was doing covers. Um, but like before I reached the age of 13 and I was trying to sing in like bands and I was singing like to myself in my room, I just didn't have the confidence to sing in front of people because singing pop was very hard on my voice. Like it w- just wasn't working. And then I ended up going to LaGuardia high school which um, funny story is I applied for piano and singing. I picked piano originally, but then I switched back to singing because I was put in the most advanced class for piano and I kind of freaked out. So then I switched to singing, but when I made that decision, I created a pros and cons list and I found it like a couple years ago. And the pros and cons list stated, you know, the reasons I should or shouldn't switch to voice. And in the cons list was actually that I would be singing opera. So to me, as a Bronx girl who grew up listening to salsa and pop music, like opera was extremely far-fetched for me. Like it wasn't something I wanted to do or anything I wasn't familiar with. The only reason why I ended up sticking with it was because when I entered chorus class, which was a core, core class in LaGuardia High School, and when everyone had to sing opera, 
the teachers started to recognize that my voice was particularly more developed than the average like kid my age and had a certain sound and sounded like it was just built for it. And um, I would just like audition for solos just because like I was bored and I want to see if I would get it. And like, you know, eight times out of 10, like this isn't even to brag, but I would actually get the solos. Like I, I would just get them Com- like competing with hundreds of other girls in my class. So it just ended up being like this sort of gift that the teachers were like, okay, Linda, like, I know you want to sing pop and I know you want to sing jazz, but like you have a gift in opera, like you have to keep doing it. And there were moments even up until college where I was like, I don't know if I want to do this, but I kept getting accolades and awards and even money, you know, to keep going and scholarships and like really like big honors. Um, so eventually I just chose to keep going and I eventually started to really love it. Um, but there was a lot of limbo, you know, there were moments where I was very uncertain and like, you know, on top of being an opera singer, I was also a very good student. You know, I loved school. Like I, there were so many things I wanted to be when I was in college. I was like every year up until my senior year, I was changing my major. I like, cause I was like so confused. And by the end I picked, I picked being an opera singer, but, and it worked, you know, that, that was the thing. It's like, it, it wasn't like I actively chose it. It was like, it kept picking me like I kept getting awards gigs performances like people kept giving me discounts for like working with them because they wanted me to keep singing you know so it was just that kind of a push like people were just like Linda you have to just do this and I was like all right eventually I was like okay universe you win yeah (laughs) okay well see sometimes the the craft or the artistry picks the artist and not the other way around that's how I thought it always was like you are the one to pick it, right? You, okay, I woke up today. I wanted to be a podcaster, so I'm choosing to do that. But mm-hmm. like I've learned in my experience that sometimes it picks you and the things that you do unconsciously. So I'm always been the guy who could talk your ear off. You know, if you <laughs> catch me on the right day, I could talk to you from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Like that's just me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't realize how you can pivot your life into just, you know, doing this, this art craft or whatever. Mm -hmm. And somehow, you know, I was just thinking like, man, what if I would have done, I always think about this, like, what if I would have started doing this earlier, right? Just because I feel all the great things I feel from doing it. Mm -hmm. It's like, sometimes the, the art form chooses you and you don't choose it because 10 years ago, I didn't know anything about podcasts. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about, internet radio i just knew about regular am fm you turn it on you listen to it in the car in your house and yeah. so growing up more and still having these skills that you just don't go away then it picks you and it's just like you realize damn i wish i would have done it early but you didn't have that mental right. you know understanding yet yeah. but then when you find it and you're like wow like this is it. So yeah. you found it with opera or it found you and I found it with this. So it's like, yeah. we're on the same thing. We're on the same path. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. I mean, it, it just goes to show that I think there's like a bigger power out there. That's just trying to guide you. Sometimes you just kind of have to let it do that and surrender to this thing that makes you feel good or gives you something special in your life. Like, like I keep saying, I, I say this a lot, opera really changed my life. Um, 
you know, not saying that I would have gone a different path had I, or like a negative path if I didn't pick opera, but you know, I've been able to travel because of opera. I've been able to meet like incredible people. I've been able to like have extraordinary experiences. I've been able to learn about different cultures and languages. Like, you know, it's, it's really opened a huge door for me. Um, and I, you know, I'm really grateful for it. Sometimes I get emotional because I'm just kind of like, I can't believe this is my life. You know, I can't believe like music has done this for me and that I'm actually making a living as a full-time musician, you know, not just as a performer, as a teacher, but like the fact that it's all music, you know, it's like, it's extremely special. And I just, I can't believe it's my life sometimes. <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's great. That's yeah. what we, that's what we love to hear. That's what we love to hear on here. Yeah. People doing, living in their truths and following their dreams and actually being happy, like with the end result of all their hard work. You just went through the Olympics of singing. I'm ha I know you're happy to come home with any medal. They don't even have yeah, to be the gold. It's the silver it's or true, the bronze. Yeah. I yep. competed and I was successful. Yeah. That's another thing. Yeah. Definitely. Just feeling <laughs> accomplished and happy no matter what. And, you know, working hard, but like being grateful still for everything. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. So my next question for you, Linda, is what is it like being an opera singer from the Bronx? We touched on it earlier, right? You uh, want to listen to your salsa music and your nat your music from your your roots or what even what your friends are listening to. You want to fit in with them. But then you start uh, undertaking like singing opera. So what is it like being an opera singer from the Bronx? And also, what was the initial reaction from your family or your friends when they found out that you were taking up opera? Okay, so that's like a funny question. So, um, first of all, being a, a singer from the Bronx, I mean, you feel like the judgment the moment you say you're from the Bronx in these like opera programs and opera houses that are filled with, you know, it's a European art form, you know. There was a lot of white people. So, you know, when I was in Opera Naples, this was literally like, it would make me chuckle on the inside. I, I would say, hi, my name is Linda Collazo. I am a mezzo-soprano and I'm from the Bronx, New York. That's what I would say before every time I would sing in all of our shows. And I kid you not, all of the people sitting down would be like, oh. <laughs> and like, then, like I, would, I would finish the performance and I'd be like walking around the lobby, you know, where everyone's like saying, good job, good job to all of the singers. And then they would approach me or I we would have a conversation and then they would be like, oh my God, are you the one from the Bronx? <laughs> and like they, I don't know, they just act like I'm some sort of um, like a museum piece a little bit, like an anomaly. They're just kind of like, whoa, like who would have thought an opera singer from the Bronx, which, you know, it's a, it's a little bit flattering, you know, it's true. Like there, there aren't a lot of opera singers from the Bronx. Um, I hope that changes in the future. Um, but you know, like it, it's still like, it's, it's a little bit funny to me when they get so like, like shocked, um, the way my family reacted. So like, you know, I'm sure you, you got the gist of this growing up, like opera to us growing up kind of seemed like a joke because yeah. all we would see it in was like in Looney Tunes and like commercials about spaghetti or pasta or pasta sauce, you know, yeah, like, yeah. like about like funny things and like or really dramatic scenes where like something is falling on the floor in slow motion you know like that's when opera would come in um so like 
to my family, they thought it was like a little bit amusing. Like the fact that I could sing like this and like I had such a, a special voice, like at a very young age. Um, and then I would sing in front of them during the holidays and my uncles would like kind of pick fun at me a little bit. It was out of love, obviously. Like they're kind of like those types of people. They're just like, ha ha ha. He, they, they joke about everything. But like that was kind of how it was, it was taken. And, you know, for a while I wasn't taken seriously because, you know, this, uh, the classical music industry in general is extremely competitive. You know, even if you see it from like, playing the violin perspective or playing like another instrument, like you see people at Juilliard, you see prodigies, you see, you know, like the really famous people are like, they're virtuosic, you know, they're, they're like top, top of the line, you know, the best. So I think a lot of people were like, Ooh, is she really going to do this? You know, um, can she really do this? And then by the time I reached college and I had graduated and I finally started seriously getting work and like serious engagements, getting paid to do shows and doing shows frequently. Like there was a point and even now, you know, I'm, I'm in this position now, which I'm very fortunate to do. But when I had like maybe one year after graduating college, I had like at least one performance per month, which that's a big deal yeah. <laughs> uh, for someone just leaving college. So, um, and then I would post about it on my Facebook pages, my website, my, uh, you know, Instagrams and it would get like a lot of traction or likes. And so then my, fa my family started to take me seriously and it was no longer a joke. They were, they were kind of like, my God, Linda's like really doing this. Like even my mom, cause there was a point in my life where in high school I would sing opera and I was very unsure of myself and I would sing and I would look scared. Um, and I wasn't very like engaged in it. Cause I was just like, nervous about doing this and my mom would always be like I don't know Linda maybe you should like be a lawyer or a doctor or something like I don't know if like this is for you this is really hard and then like now she's like oh my god my daughter's like just she's just a musician like she makes money off of this you know she's she's doing her such a good job you know like she makes a living off of this so um yeah it's like uh I don't want to say that I was doubted I think it was just like looked at as a little bit like unusual and the fact that like it could turn into something big for me was like something to be proud of but also i think it just surprised a lot of people and you know it surprises my family it surprises people that meet me for the first time like <laughs> that are from different states and are of different backgrounds you know um, and are of certain privileges um but you know i i like it i like proving people wrong and i like uh to show people that like you know, Bronx people can sing opera and they can be interested in classical music. Um, and yeah. Yes, that is the that is a great answer. That was perfect. A politician couldn't say it better. And also, I'm going to tell you, so the name of my show is The Bronx Bias Podcast, yeah. right? I have the same story. So the way I came up with this name was when I would travel places mm -hmm. you know, around the country or even if I was blessed enough to go overseas somewhere, People would ask me, oh, Denzel, where are you from? You know, where you live, where, where you call home? And I would say the Bronx. And I didn't think anything of it. I just thought it was normal. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm from the Bronx. The way that people would react in all these different states or even in different countries, it really, like, caught me by surprise. And I would say, I'm from the Bronx. And they were, oh, my God. Oh, my God. How do you survive? Oh, that's you know, literally you, what they're like. They're like, oh, my just, God. 
are you okay? Like, (laughs) really concerned for my well-being. And I'm just, I'm looking, I'm just like, really? Like, this is what you guys think? And so when I was coming up for the name of the show, I said, what's going to be the name? And I said, the Bronx Bias Podcast, because in any situation I was in, when I would tell people who are not from New York that I was from the Bronx, they would all have this reaction like the Bronx was the worst place. So it was a bias toward the Bronx. And I was like, this is going to be a great name. And that's how it came about, because literally that is our experience. And it's just like, that's another reason why I love doing a show and having different kinds of people on just to let people know that, hey, we're from the Bronx, but you can meet a podcaster, you can meet an opera singer, you can meet a designer, you can meet a painter, you can meet anybody in in the borough of the Bronx. And that's why it's so important to have you guys on and tell all your beautiful stories. So we're in the same boat in that, too, because... I get that. I've gotten that reaction so many times. And at first, you're like, how do I react to this? Should I be upset? Should I laugh this off? Like, that people think that, you know, I'm dodging bulls- bullets every single day of my life or <laughs> that, you know, I live in, you know, an abandoned building or something. I'm like, how do should I react to it? But I think the best way is just to tell your own story and let people grab it from there. I mean, I think also, like, it should it should kind of impress people because in a way like especially where I'm from, I'm from Hunts Point, like it is dangerous. Like I hate saying that, but as a woman, you know, like walking out in the nighttime, no, Mm -hmm. like that's, I can't do that. When I walk home from the train, I have to call someone. So that way they're on the phone with me while I'm walking to my apartment. Um, You know, I live next to like the industrial area of Hunts Point. It's just trucks coming in and out. The air quality is terrible. Um, People do slash people's faces on a random you know, in my neighborhood. Um, so, you know, there is definitely a struggle being from the Bronx, but I also think, you know, there are issues in the Bronx, but they're beyond sort of the people's control. It's more the government's problem <laughs> and environmental racism and racism in general. It's a lot of things, you know, right. That's, uh, that aren't really our faults. Um, but along with that, you know, there are also people who are very much determined and work hard and have dreams and ambitions, um, such as yourself, such as myself, such as, you know, people that have made it like Cardi B, J-Lo, like um, a ton of people, a ton of actors, especially like from the Bronx, um, you know, so it is possible, you know, there is a lot of struggle in the Bronx. There is like that. We can't ignore that. Um, but they're also really wonderful people from the Bronx too, that are ambitious and are accomplished and stuff like that. So it's not just black and white. Um, and hopefully, hopefully the Bronx gets better, you know, not necessarily, well, like hopefully the government does something, but also hopefully we can do things with our gifts, you know, to really change that narrative as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm 100% with you on that. And hopefully, you know, one of my dreams is like, not necessarily for money and access, and that'll be great. I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm not ever saying I wouldn't take some, but like for other people to see, you know, our conversation today, or other conversations that you have with others, or just your work, and say, okay, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter, you know, your hometown. It matters what's inside, and it matters how you want to bring that out to the world. And that is what I try to do with the show, and that's why I love talking to people from the Bronx because everyone from the Bronx always talks about how they want to improve the area or make it better for the next generation. And that's really important to me. And it's, I love, I just love speaking to people from the Bronx for that reason, because we all got the same goal and we're doing it in different ways. Yeah. Cause you know, we grew up with like just different circumstances, 
you know, and like, I especially saw it when I got into like LaGuardia High School and like I would go from the Bronx to Manhattan. And then for a while I was only in Manhattan because that was where all the the resources were for me for music, you mm-hmm. know, but like just seeing the disparity that like these opportunities weren't really in the Bronx versus Manhattan. It just, it just like goes to show you like there needs to be, you know, the government should be <laughs> giving more to the Bronx to have more access to this stuff, but also, you know, with my own stuff. And that's why I'm a teacher, you know, and that's why I, I try to teach people in the Bronx and, um, I don't know. I try to try to do what I can here. Yeah. And I see, I see like more growth happening. A lot of art artists doing a ton of stuff here. So that's really exciting. So in your teaching, do you teach the children opera itself or do you just teach them music or music theory or just the fundamentals in music? So I teach them like whatever they are interested in. Like I never want to be a person that in invokes like, um, or imposes, invoke was the wrong word, that it imposes like opera on people. Like I never want to be that person because like I didn't like like it when I was young. You know, right. it wasn't something I naturally wanted to do. I was only able to do it when like I had to do it for school and then teachers were like, whoa, like you have to keep going. And then I started to develop a love for it. For my students of any age, you know, I teach at all ages. Um, I make it about what they want. So like I teach piano, I teach voice, um, beginner piano to intermediate and voice like up to advanced levels. And for me, the most important thing is just that they enjoy it. And like, if they choose to like become a professional, like that's another conversation. That's another like, um, curriculum and another path for them. You know, that's a little bit more intensive, but, for every beginner or anyone that walks into my studio, it's more just to develop a hobby and a skill and to just enjoy <laughs> making music, you know? So I just try to go with whatever they're interested in and like use what I know to like cater to that. Um, yeah. I never, ever want to like impose like you must sing classical music. Like, no, that's, I don't think that's really helpful. Um, you know? So yeah, that's how, that's how I go about it. So when you first got involved with teaching, what was that experience like, you know, knowing that you used to be a student and how important music is to you right now, mm-hmm. when you got the opportunity to now teach the next generation or inspire these young minds, what was that like for you? Was that a, a, a heart wrenching thing? Like you had so much anxiety about it or was you just saw it as a great opportunity to bring music to children who you know, maybe need that enrichment in their lives. Yeah, I mean, it was scary at first, you know, like, I'll be honest, like I started teaching because it was the most flexible work I could find in the beginning. It was the most flexible and it was the most like lucrative for me because I needed to change my schedule all the time to this day. Like I need to move my students for my auditions, for my performances, for my rehearsals. You know, I have to move a ton of things. Um, But like, in the beginning, like, of course, like I was scared. Like I was, I was scared that I wasn't skilled enough to be teaching people how to like use their voices or how to like play piano. But like, as a musician, like the more, the more time you spend on it, like I've been singing since I was 13, I've been playing piano since I was seven. Um, it's like, you know, more than you think. Like I did like a conversation with a bunch of young opera singers in college about this. I was saying like, 
you really do know more than you think. Like as, as opera singers, what we do is like, we take our lessons, we record them and then we listen to them like throughout the week. And that is our way of like learning techniques and memorizing technique and memorizing language pronunciation and diction and resonance. Like I'm throwing a lot of words at you that you might not know, but like you learn all of these things as an opera singer and you memorize it for yourself. Like that is knowledge that I'm able to give to my students in any way. Like it doesn't have to be in opera singing. It could be in pop. It could be in piano. It could be in like a ton of things. So, you know, I wasn't giving myself enough credit and also cause I was, you know, I want to do a good job. So I was like freaking out about doing a good job, but, um, it's like the more you do it, the easier it gets. And like, you have to, as a trained musician, you have to kind of follow your own intuition. You know, I asked my voice teacher who's like, he's really such an incredible voice teacher, like has worked with opera singers that are like singing all over the world and are insanely accomplished. And I asked him once, I was like, maestro, what do I do? Like, I have this student that's going through this problem. How do I fix it? And he told me, he was like, you just have to follow your gut. Like, you know, what's right. You know, what's wrong. Um, and nine times out of 10, like you are doing the right thing. I think as long, like as, as opera singers, like we're trained to also listen to when people are like, singing badly and singing without the right support and like with like really bad technique that could hurt their voice so like there is this like intuition of like being able to like assist to avoid that kind of um damage so like that's just kind of like how how I've, I've worked through it this whole whole time and now you know I've been singing not singing I've been teaching since I was 18 like now I feel like I have a, a like a curriculum for everyone like I have a, a basis that I start with everyone and then I build from there you know I've also learned from working with people you know some people their issues are completely new to me and I'm just like whoa and I have to like really use my brain it's a lot of problem solving skills I have to really like sit and think and trial and error like I have to like see what what works for them what fixes their issues sometimes things don't work but like knowing when to switch switch it up so that way it does work um and then i meet another student that has the same problem as student a and then i already have like a, a game plan to help them and depending on how they take it i'm able to like fix it up or like change something but it's kind of like that like you're learning as you go and the more you do it the more you know how to handle it um and i've, I've learned so much about the voice from doing all of this and how the voice changes, the voice develops, you know, the more you practice, the more like your voice changes and the, the easier things get. So consistency is key. Um, and just like trusting your gut. That's, that's like literally how it's, it's been working out for me. Right. That, well, that's a great, I think that's a great answer. And I use that same philosophy in podcasting. You use it really in your whole life. You go through life and things happen. You reassess. Okay. Well, when I broke up with this girl over text, she really didn't like that. So the next time I'm just going to man up and make a phone call or do it in person. You know, and that's just how you <laughs> that's just how you figure out more things in life. Right. You know, it's just that trial and error and that trial and error. So piggybacking off of that, what were some of the obstacles that you faced when you first started performing? Right. It's different teaching, you know, because that's what, 20 mm -hmm. kids or 25 kids. But now you're performing. So what were the biggest obstacles when you first were on the stage and people were paying to see you? Uh, ooh. I mean, a ton of things. I mean, like, 
Technique is something that is really developed. So when I was like in my early 20s, like that wasn't something I had completely underneath my belt. You know, I'm kind of my voice and there are many other voices like this. I'm not the only one like my voice is big. You know, there, there are different sizes, you know, depending on the person, their, the biology of that person, you know, like there are small voices, there are voices that can move fast. There are big voices, there are medium voices. Like I am someone that has a little bit of a larger voice. So to get support for that has been like a really hard process. Um, I did have a teacher in the past that was not um, giving me the right like advice about like how frequently I should be practicing, how much work I should be putting into this, you know, how much I should be like, just like preparing. <laughs> so like there was a point in my life where I would take on gigs, you know, like I was so lucky to have the voice that I had that I could get work at a young age, but like I was singing and like by the end of like a concert, I would be exhausted, you know, right. or like my voice would like lose steam as it went higher because like I'm a mezzo, which means I'm a middle voice. So my voice is happier in the middle to low range. Um, there was a, a point in time where my high notes weren't really that good. So like, you know, just going through that, like auditions, like auditions where like you fall on your face. There were moments like, listen, the opera industry is wild. The opera industry is so hard. Like it's really easy to end up just pay, like spending money to go in a circle, like mm. work with people who don't really help you or that don't understand your struggles or that people that don't like, they don't know how to, what to do, but they need a paycheck. So then they're going to keep you going in that circle of just auditioning and falling on your face, you know? But luckily I came to a point right before COVID where I was just like, something's not working. You know, like I was still getting recognition and accolades, but they weren't what I wanted. Like, that's another thing as a musician you have to know is like, you have to know where you want to go and you have to have a game plan. And I was realizing that my circle wasn't really supporting me and helping me reach that goal. So I had to find new people to work with. And luckily I had friends that helped me find those people and like, they have helped me a lot. So now, now I'm singing like for companies and auditions and I'm singing like roles and like solos that I really want to do, but it's only because I have found people who have been very serious with me about what it takes to get to a certain level. And like, I'm, I'm telling you, like, it took me two years of complete, everything shut down COVID, uh, just singing and practicing by myself, seeing my teacher twice a week to get to this level. But there was a point where, unfortunately, I was around people who were not challenging me enough. And they kind of acted like I was the cream of the crop already, which like, like, I don't think anyone should ever be be made to be that cocky you know like you could be excellent but there's always something else you can do to be better and like i was kind of being told that i was fine the way i was and um it just didn't challenge me enough and i i just it yeah it it was hard so and it's still hard you know like like now i know so much more that i have to do to be the best is that i have to practice a lot i have to devote a certain amount of time to this i have to I have to sing, I have to vocalize every day. I have to see my teacher twice a week, but I know that now. And that's why I'm able to sing and like not completely gas out at the end of a, a small little recital, you know, like those are all things like you have to grow towards and you just have to be realistic, like, and know that if you decide to do something at a professional level, you just got to work so hard. Right. 
Yeah. Right. So what is an opera audition like? Right. So I've spoken to some actors and I know what it's like when you go act for or, or try to audition for an acting role. Come in, you know, you do your screen test, you read with another actor, you read by yourself or they may ask you to improv. You know, I know all those things, just acting. And also, my name is Denzel. When your name is Denzel, you know so much like, about oh. acting. <laughs> like, yeah. you just know all of it. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so as a singer, though, what is the audition process like? What is that like when you go into those places and you actually have to sing and hopefully get chosen for a certain role? Okay, so it's it's brutal. Oh, my God. It's, it's brutal. So they're in New York City, there are, like, three places you audition at typically, which is Opera America, mm-hmm. which is in Manhattan, Ripley Greer, which they also have theater auditions there, or like these other random like rehearsal spaces throughout the city. Um, they're typically always in Manhattan. The most popular one is Opera America. So what happens is, and this is another side to the opera career that's extremely, extremely stressful, is that like there's this website called Yap Tracker, and that stands for Young Artist Program Tracker. And every two or three days, there is a new list of like auditions coming up or competitions to apply for. And they're huge lists. You have to click through them and see which ones fit what you want to do right now, what you want to audition for. So you go through that list, you find places. Typically what they want is like, there's just this huge application online where you have to put your resume your headshot, your pieces. Like we have something called a package that we offer in all of our auditions. So it's typically a five arias, one in Italian, English, French, German, and then maybe another language or style. For me, I either put like Spanish or musical theater as my fifth piece. So like you have to put that all in there. And then another thing that's a little bit exploitative of the opera world is that you have to pay application fees. So depending on the company, you could be paying between five to $50 for an application. So you have to like also be careful about that. Like, this is what I mean by like knowing what you need and what level you're on, because let's say you're at a level that's below that program. If you're paying the application fee and applying um, and you're not ready yet, like chances are they could reject you without an audition and then that money's gone. Yeah. So it's a lot of like assessing and like being around people that can really tell you what level you're on. So that's the first step is that sort of application. Then it's whether or not you get an audition. So sometimes I don't get auditions. You know, sometimes there are companies out there that are like, we're sorry, we looked at your application. We're not what we're looking for right now. We're not going to hear you. Then there are people that do want to hear me. Um, Before I left to Opera Naples, I had an audition I had, I had at least one audition per week from September to December. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And it was very, it was very, very stressful. It's a very stressful process. I'm lucky because I live in the Bronx and I'm in New York. So I, I just have to take the train to Manhattan, do my audition for like 10 minutes and then go back home <laughs> and do work, go to sleep, hang out with a friend. There are people out there that they have to take a train from New Jersey to get to New York City. They have to take a train from Boston. They have to go take a flight from Florida. There, you know, there are people out there that study opera and want to become a performer that come to New York City from all over the country. Um, so it's very stressful. Like you go into these these um, rehearsal studios like Opera America, and you just see all of you know 
your competition. You see all of your, some of them are friends, you know, some of them are people you've done rehearsals with. The opera world is so small, you know? So like in every audition, you're going to see someone, you know, so that's like a thing that to me, I've realized that I get really stressed out if I'm in a waiting area with a bunch of other singers <laughs> for a long period of time. I try not to be more than 10 minutes early to an audition for that reason, because I just get a little bit too psyched out. And then you get called for the, your audition. And the way it works is you pick your first piece to sing. So you do something called a slate. So you're basically like, hello, my name is Linda Goyaso, and I'm going to sing X, Y, and Z. You sing for them the entire piece. The pianist is typically a random person unless you hire someone. So that's another mixed bag. You can have a good pianist or you can have a bad pianist. And that's also like, oh, that, that determines your audition too sometimes. You sing for a panel of people you might know or people you don't know when they're looking at your resume and your rep list while you're singing. Um, you just sing your whole aria and then depending on if they like you and if there's enough time, they will be like, can we hear a second piece? Very rarely will they be like, can we hear a third piece? Um, but that is literally how it is like. <laughs> and then it's like at most 10 minutes and then you leave and then that's it. And then you wait, you can wait anywhere between like a couple weeks to like several months to get your results. Yeah. I mean, like I'm lucky that I got opera, opera Naples and I'm going to Aspen in the summer, but like besides those two programs, I have been rejected so much like you have to be prepared to like eat shit like yeah. <laughs> and get like so many rejections and just keep going like at this point i get this email going like we're sorry we blah 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 we can't we just you did great but we can't take you for now and i'm just like okay whatever like i'm just gonna keep going through my emails and i have, I have other things to do like it doesn't really phase me that much anymore sometimes if it's like a big thing that i really wanted it hurts me but like you just have to learn to just go on you know but that's how it is it's like you just have to just do it every day and you know auditioning is a wonderful practice you know you learn to not be scared after a while and you learn to sing under pressure but it's exhausting you know it's exhausting so that's definitely like a big part about singing <laughs> yeah so so how did you then adjust to the the, the rejection i'd imagine the first few times you got that rejection it felt like Someone took your heart and ripped it up like paper. So how did you adjust to how did you adjust to the rejection so frequently? And how are you able to move Ooh. past it? You know, I mean, it's still hard, like depending on the opportunity. Um, but like now I've learned to like be like whatever because I've already received yeses to like programs and like competitions that meant the world to me so it's like you can't have it all like that's like one thing that like I tell myself it's like you can't have everything you can't like if I was being accepted to everything I would be conflicted I would have to pick between three programs I would be like you know freaking out about like which just what decision to make um I wouldn't be making much money because a lot of these programs don't pay well you know like there there are ups and downs to this thing I think the best way that I've learned to like just keep going and like kind of ignoring the rejections is like working on my teaching studio, working on other aspects of my life and doing things, doing other things in my life that I enjoy finding other ways to fulfill myself. So that way, like when I get that rejection, I'm like, you know what? I could like lose my voice tomorrow. And there are so many other things that I can do with my life that I will enjoy. You know, like you have to like 
with any art form or any profession, like that should never, ever be the only thing that makes you happy because those things are so um, unpredictable. Like COVID, for example, you could have been the best singer ever, the most famous singer ever. Everyone lost work from that. And like, even now COVID's, you know, knock on wood, COVID could still like, you know, cause us to go on like a mass quarantine again, you know? Um, yeah, like knock on wood, <laughs> but like, you just have to find a way to like, not let it consume you and keep going. And just, um, if you do feel the, the, the pain of the rejection, like let yourself feel it, but don't let it, don't ever like, let it make you quit or like stop or like, let it affect yourself worse. Like that's how I've learned to cope with it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you teaching us, you teaching us <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the tips and, and the, and the techniques. Cause I could, I could imagine, you know, just, just a human thing. You know, you got your heart set on something, you're really passionate about it. You go out for it with the best intentions and you get a bunch of letters saying, nah, we're good. You know, yeah. I could imagine how that affects you. That is impossible to not affect someone. So it is good to hear how you overcome and, and you have been successful. You know, I couldn't get a hold of you. You was in Florida. I was trying to get a hold of you. He was like, nah, I'm on a plane. Like I'm out of here. So yeah. it is good that you are getting the benefits for all your hard work. I think another thing though, is like when you do put yourself on to audition, also to save yourself from heartache is like knowing for sure if you're ready, because sometimes depending on your mentors, they can put you to do things that you're not ready for. And that's like automatic failure. So you really want to make sure like you are at a place where you could seriously be considered. Um, there's one thing to do auditions just for practice. And then there's one thing to do auditions because you are ready. So like, or both, you know, but you really want to make sure that like what you're doing is like at the same level of like where you're, where you're headed, you know, that's another big thing. Yeah. Well, piggybacking off of that. Uh, what would what advice would you give to a young person who wanted to start their own thing in general, right? So we know how it how hard it is to break into the opera world, even how hard it is to let's say build an audience in the pod world. So if a person came up to you and said, Linda, you know, I see all the great things that you do. Um, what is some advice that you can give to me? You know, in terms of if they're an artist or if they're a, a writer or if they're want to be a teacher or whatever profession they want to choose. What's just some great advice that you can give out to some young people who are listening? All right. So this is something I always say, and I've been saying it since college. Um, do not ever like, like hold back because you feel like you are bragging. Mm. You know, I think society teaches us to be excessively humble, but like not for ourselves, but just so we don't make other people feel insecure or jealous. And I think that's a big, big problem. I think when you are successful and you have accomplished something, talk about it. I think you need to mention it. I think you need to post about it everywhere, you know, go on your social media and like put it out there, you know, and it's not to make other people feel bad. It is so that way you show that what you're doing, because the thing is people out there are watching you <laughs> and they, depending on, you know, what, level of like accomplishment you've you've had like they're gonna want to talk to you they're gonna want to work with you they're gonna know about you you know 
don't like let that pressure to be humble like stop you from talking about your accolades and another thing is persistence is key persistence is key like you have to be in love not just with the artistry but like the hustle you have to like be you have to enjoy you know for me sitting down like doing these applications you have to do it you have like it's a lot of like work that like it's like sitting at a desk and like typing and it's annoying but like it does get you somewhere you know like posting at least once a week on on your social medias um writing that email to someone who's interested in you or someone that could potentially sponsor you or someone who um just could support you like someone that's like a fan of your work and that maybe can come to your show like have an email list keep up with those emails you know like take down people's emails um have a website you know like it's like a bunch of a bunch of things on top of being a good performer or having good work there's a business side to it that you have to pay very very close attention to and if like let's say it's too much for you like find someone that you can hire like eventually for myself i'm thinking about hiring someone that could like maybe do a a couple of promo videos for me that would look really good that I can't necessarily do on my own because I don't know if I can do that really well you know like you have to have ideas to just like showcase your work um and never be ashamed to showcase your work never <laughs> don't ever let society make you like quiet about those things because people need to know about it yeah hey I like that I'm ready to go out and be somebody Give me some, yeah. give me some energy. I like that though. That, that's good advice. You know, I have also been like conflicted sometimes on how I want to present myself with the show because I am Denzel, the human aside from Denzel, the podcaster. And sometimes it's a hard balance, right. Mm -hmm. To, to, to integrate the podcast side of myself into my life. Yeah. And sometimes I do feel like, damn, maybe this isn't the right time. You know, sometimes I feel like if I'm in a spot, you know, this ain't the right time to be talking about my podcast, you know, but at the same time, there are a lot of people who don't know who are very close to me that I was doing a podcast and I was doing it for like a year at that point. Yeah. And they were like, what? Like you're doing this, you've been doing it for this long and I don't know about it. So there is definitely a balance between trying to stay who you are and not, not letting what you do define you fully. Mm -hmm. but also letting people know that this is what you do and what you're about because opportunity I've learned could come from anywhere. You know, I've been in the most random places and I found people to do my show just because I mentioned that I had one. So it is definitely a balance, but it is something that if you are out there and you are a creator, your work is, is 100% you and you shouldn't be afraid of showing up to others. Yeah. So I'm going to say one more story. So one thing over COVID that I, I think everyone could only use for their own like advertisement was social media. Mm -hmm. And it was a little bit toxic sometimes. Like it was kind of crazy and like it was hard to like not get so invested in it. But like, you know, Instagram and your email lists, like they have a ton of power. Like there was a moment where I, I sent an email out with like a virtual concert I was doing and I put like randos on my email list. I mean... You know, like I put in people that I knew supported me. Um, sometimes people unsubscribe, you know, you have to be ready like to deal with that. And like, but at least you're trying, you know, but like there were people on my list that I had a hunch, like really supported my work. And I sent an email about like something random in my life. 
And from that, like I got an interview from BronxNet. And then since then I've been on BronxNet like five times, you know, like, and then from that, like I got like another, like, you know, if you find an influencer on Instagram that like you're somewhat interested in, like spam them with likes, like try to find a way to like get their attention. And then they look at your profile and then, you know, then maybe they're going to be interested in you. Like I've gotten interviews that way. Like, it's like, you have to just like, test the waters and sometimes you fall on your face and like they're not interested in you you know they don't respond they leave you on red but like it's better than not trying like that's true. that's just the way it is true it's very true and i think people i think that gen z the gen z generation has no issue with that that's one of the things about these young people that i absolutely love like when a person uh, a young young person gets involved with something or start something they have no shame about it. Like they put it out on front street. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is what I do. This is what I will deal with. This is what I won't deal with. And it's awesome. Like to see young people with that much energy and that much, uh, you know, uh, I don't even know the word. Like they're just charisma, charisma or just um, motivation, like motive. Yeah. All those great adjectives, yeah. <laughs> but like that, they inspire me because it's like, this person is 17. They're in their senior yeah. year of high school yeah. and they're really promoting themselves and growing themselves. They have no shame and they want to be successful and they're doing anything that it takes. And me, I'm sitting here and I'm like, dang, well, I can't be this shy because this is how people are getting what they want. They're going yeah. after it. Uh, yeah, I always say this. You, you just you have to be a go getter. That's mm -hmm. it. You just gotta be like, I am offering this. Please like consider it. And the worst thing that can happen is they say no. Right. <laughs> that's it. Like that's the worst thing that can happen. Um, and you just have to get used to that. Yeah. In the be in my beginning stages of the podcast, when I wanted to get guests, you mm -hmm. know, I didn't have a real big Rolodex of people who I could call. Rolodex. Mm -hmm. That's how old I am. <laughs> And so what I was doing was on Instagram, I would literally just send messages to people. Hey, my name is Denzel. I do a show called the Bronx Bias Podcast. I would love to have you on as a guest. And I had it in my mind, like, if they say no to me, it'll be like they never responded. Right? That's just my philosophy on it. If they tell me no, it would be the same way if I never sent them a message. Yeah, so I it. just would keep doing that. I would just send it out to all these people. I would go on, I would type in the tag podcaster, all mm -hmm. the people who came up, I would just send them messages. Like, yeah. you don't know me. I don't know you, but we do the same thing. Let's see if we can work. And it, and it paid dividends because I was literally just putting my feet out there. I was putting my feet in the water and I was getting results from it. So it is definitely great advice. Yeah. Just put yourself out there. That's right. That's right. <laughs> So my next question for you, Linda, is what keeps you motivated in this space? What keeps you motivated to keep singing? What makes you motivated to keep going through those auditions, how daunting they may be? And what keeps you motivated to keep teaching the children? What are all your motivations in this space? Um, so I'm not going to lie. Singing is something hard to stay motivated at for myself. Um, for me, it's like when I when I assign myself an audition or like a performance, when I get hired for a performance, that's when I'm motivated because it's like I have a deadline and a goal to meet and I, I want to do a good job. So like that's how I stay on track is sometimes when I'm like sort of without a goal, I just start to create that goal. And that means kind of putting myself 
in that audition space. Even if I fail, it's more like for me to make sure I'm on top of my stuff. The way that I also hold myself accountable is I do invest in myself, you know, like I pay money for my own lessons twice a week. And that's just my way of like holding myself accountable. Um, you know, and for me, like I am more consistent with the the business side of it, like posting, sending emails, connecting, app, applying for things. The practicing takes a little bit more work for me. Um, but once I have those goals set and those expectations like set for myself, then I start doing it. But it's... um. That's that's just how how I work. That's how I, I set goals for myself. It's like I just have these little quotas here and there. Um, and yeah, yeah, that's, that's how I work. Okay. No, I mean, and, and everyone's motivation, you know, is different. I, and I like that question because it really some people literally are money driven. Some people are art the art driven. Some people are a mixture of both. Some people get motivated by seeing people listening to their things or interacting with their, it's just so many different motivations. There's no one answer, right? Somebody's motivation could be to inspire the next generation. Somebody's motivation could be to make a million dollars. There's no wrong answer, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it's great to ask artists this question because it lets you know what is, what the craft does for the person. Some right. people say, oh, it's an out-of-body experience for me to sing and for people to hear it and receive it. Some people are like, I'm just thinking about that check. Nobody's wrong. So it's just a, a great thing to hear, like how everyone's motivation can be different for whatever art that they do. Yeah. For me, it's like twofold. Like I love singing and I love teaching and I love like when I have like a really good student, that's why I'm like, oh my God, I'm in heaven, you know? Um, but you know, like teaching is teaching is work, especially like when you're working with kids who like you know, you got to remind them to practice. You got to be a little bit strict. You got to be like, um, what did you do this week? Like, <laughs> you know, did you practice every day? Like what, uh -huh. what happened? Um, you know, so it's hard and it can be very stressful. Um, so yeah, it's just like about for me meeting that quota and making sure that I'm, I'm okay. And I'm able to feed myself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my next question for you, Linda is who are some influences who have been impactful to you throughout your journey? Who are some people that have influenced you, whether it was teachers, whether it was noteworthy people, whether it was famous people, you know, who were some people who influenced you to get you to this level where you are today? Um, so definitely my teachers at LaGuardia. Um, those are the people that started the whole thing, the chain reaction of me being an opera singer. Um, it was like when I started getting solos and stuff and then like basically they, I don't know, like I remember uh, at the end of my one semester where I was fin finishing up with girl choir, there was this one teacher named Miss Bishop and I confronted her after um, the semester just to thank her. I was like, thank you for everything. I enjoyed this class so much. I've learned so much from you. And then she just told me, she was like, Linda, you are so talented. She was like, you have a gift. You have a very special timbre. Like you have to study with someone um, privately. And I was a freshman. So then like over the summer, that was what prompted my, me to talk to my mom being like, hey, I think I need a voice teacher. So then like I found a voice teacher. Her name was Rachel Fry and she's like the best thing. And she really got me started. Um, 
And like, you know, she loved my voice so much. She gave me like a discount. And then like, you know, like more things happen. Like there was another teacher, Deepak Marwa, whom like I also owe a lot to where like he just like gave me a lot of solo opportunities. And then he like would nominate me for so many scholarships. Like on top of going to college for free, like he helped me get a scholarship that like was an additional 3000 a year. So that was just like money I could save and like ha- like keep for books for extracurricular lessons, you know, for like other things, um, you know, and finally, like the people that really influenced me, like now I have one of my mentors, his name is Pablo Zinger. He's my my pianist and my coach. Like I always hire him if I really need a pianist for something. And, you know, we do performances together. We've done so many shows together. He like he like put me under his wing when I was 20 years old um, and like really believed in me. And like, we just have not, (laughs) we have not like cut off our connection since, you know, I see him at least like once a month for something and he's helped me so much and he believes in me so much. And then finally, like my teacher, the teacher that I have right now, like, oh my God, like he just pushes me so much. He believes in me. He um, cares about me, you know, like, he, when I am in those ruts where I want to quit or when I'm like not motivated or tired or exhausted, like he's the voice of reason. He's the one that tells me, nope, you got to keep going. You got to get back up. And he's very strict with me. You know, sometimes, sometimes he's strict with me in a way that gets me upset, but it's all with good intention and it has transformed me and my work ethic. So I really owe him that. Yeah, that's good. You know, it's funny in my experience, you know, podcasting was is a new thing for me. So I didn't have a frame of reference of like people who were in my life fostering that to, for me to uh, exercise this talent. So my motivations or my inspirations come from like people in the field. So when I listen to other podcasts, I get really excited. Or when I watch television and there's people on there, like when Oprah interviewed, uh, um, Meghan Markle, I watched it like and I was like, because I wanted to see how Oprah does like how she does her job. Right. So I want to watch, you know, one of the richest people on the planet, but a host like how do you interview someone in this position? Remember with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, they was in a little bit of hot water. Right. So she had to be delicate with the issue. But she had to get the truth out of them. She had to, you know, be mindful of their situation and things that they couldn't say, things Mm -hmm. what they could say and like highlight it. So it was just like a lesson in like how to interview someone. And that's who I really pick things up from. Like I watch television, sports television. I watch the anchors. I watch how they deliver the news. I watch how the, the personalities in television work and how they pick a side and they you know, are basically acting even though they're on television, like, and they're delivering news or nonfiction things. And those are the things I pick up from. So my inspirations are like radio hosts and, you know, I can listen to a podcast all day, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's really those people in the field who I really pick things up from. It's never been like someone, like a teacher of mine saying, hey, you know, go into this field, even though I've, have been blessed to speak to some of my old teachers. And they were like, you know, I knew you were going to be do something like this because every day in my class, you just wouldn't shut up. Oh my God, I would write things home to your mom. I would leave messages on the phone. 
it was just like this kid would not be quiet at all. So I'm so glad that you found your way into this because I don't know how that would work in any other job. They've literally told me that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, for real. That's, um, that's, yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly how it is for me sometimes. Like I do have some opera singers that like I, um, really look up to, um, one of them's like Josie Donato. She really, she really inspired me. Teresa Berganza. Teresa Berganza is the reason why I kept singing opera, because there was a point in 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 college where I was like, I don't relate to this at all. Everything here is European. I don't, I don't like relate to this. So I ended up, you know, my teacher recommended I look into like this singer that sings like sang a lot of Spanish music, and then I found her, and I was like, wow, there's Spanish opera, and then like boom. Then I kept going. That's what kept me going. But yeah, no, for me, it was it was more of the people around me that pushed me and motivated me. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's different. It's different. Just like motivations are different. Mm-hmm. Inspirations are different. Inspiration can come from anywhere. You know, I talked to an old coworker of mine when I used to be in the corporate world and they she started a makeup line. And I was like, so what got you into makeup? She was like, it was her little sister. Like, it's you just like that thing it can be different for everyone. As long as it gets you to where you're at, it doesn't matter where it comes from. Right. A hundred percent. All right. All right. So moving right along, you guys can follow me and hit me up on Instagram and Twitter at Rogers neighborhood. Instagram is R O D G E R S N E I G H B O R H O O D. Twitter is the exact same, except there are no vowels in neighborhood on Twitter. And one thing I do every show, Linda, and it's actually one of my favorite parts of the show, is I answer questions from the listeners of the show. It's a great way to keep them involved. It's a great way to keep them engaged and keep them listening. And it's a great way to break up the flow of our show where it's like NPR or something where, you know, we're talking about, you know, the craft. So this is a good way to break it up and introduce some fun. So what I would like for you to do or what I would like for us to do is have you answer some of the questions from the listeners so they can learn a little bit more about the mezzo-soprano Linda Collasso. All right, awesome, ready. (laughs) All right, so my first question for you from the listeners is, what songs are in your current listening rotation? Ooh, okay, so I love Bad Bunny, like, so much. So Bad Bunny is in my current listening rotation, like, crazy, like, everything Bad Bunny. Um, Brockhampton, Ariana Grande, uh... A ton of pop, you know, a ton of pop, pop. Um, there's like Doja Cat. I like Doja Cat a lot. Um, that's about it. I mean, I should be listening to more classical music, but I'm so involved in classical singing that like when I need a break, I need a break. You know, I like listening to other things. So, yeah. I, I find that to be true. Like when people ask me about when I listen to my own show, I'd be like, no, absolutely not. Like I'll listen. I listen to it so much in the editing process in the recording process, in the re-recording process, that when it's over and finished, I the last thing I want to do is listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> and so people look at me funny, like, what? You don't even listen to your own? Like, that's free streams. I'm just like, no. If you knew how many times I had to listen to this before it became public, you wouldn't want to listen to it either. So yeah. I'm with you. You don't have, you know, this is your craft. It's like, I hear it all the time. I don't want to hear this. I completely get it. I completely get it. Yeah. All right. So my next question for you, Linda, from the listeners is, what is something 
that you thought was absolutely whack until you decided to give it a try? Oh my God. Oh, biking. That was the thing. I think that's what I was, yeah. So biking, like, I was like afraid to do it. Like, it wasn't that I thought it was whack. It was that I was scared to do it because like I was scared about getting into an accident and like falling or like, you know, um, ending up in an area that like wasn't safe or whatever. Um, but over COVID, my, my cabin fever was so intense that I was like, I, I need to do something to get outside. So I linked up with one of my friends who lives in the area and he was getting into biking. And then I was like, you know what? There's city bike. Let me get a city bike. And like I would city bike and then we would bike all the way to Randall's Island Park. And it ended up being really beautiful and fun. So then I loved it so much that I bought my own bike and I bought, you know, one of the expensive ones. I bought like the electric bikes, the, the ones that you can do manual. But if like, let's say you got to get home by a certain time, you could put the little electricity on so you get home faster. So, um, like, that's what I ended up buying. But yeah, no, it ended up being a wonderful escape for me and a great way of, for exercise. So that's something that I love to do now as a, a hobby. This is random, but I'm just going to say, you know how they say it, it's like riding a bike, you'll never forget it. <laughs> I, I was uh, over Christmas. I went to New Orleans for Christmas. Uh-huh. And, you know, they have city bikes sort of like that down there, but they have the electricity built in. And there, and I've always, I hadn't ridden a bike, I would say maybe in like 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, wow, they got these bikes. And in my head, I was saying, well, you know, it's like riding a bike. I'll never forget how to ride. So I get this bike. <laughs> I get this bike and it's electric built in. So I don't know. I'm thinking you got to pedal it like a real bike. Uh-huh. So I'm pedaling it and then the electricity boosts and it makes me go faster. So I'm like, oh, I wasn't ready for it. And so I'm, you know, I'm trying to adjust the handlebar. There was a patch on the side. I was in a park. There was a patch on the side. It had nothing but gravel. I took the bike over the gravel and tried to turn. The bike fell like it fell like this. So I'm I'm on the side. Like (laughs) luckily the people in New Orleans are nice and they didn't take out their phone to record, which is probably what I would have done. But um, they were really nice. They helped me up and everything. And I, I just had to be like so honest in my mind. I said, I guess what they say isn't true because I definitely forgot how to ride a bike. 100%. Now, 100%. that was because of the electricity. The electricity threw you off. Listen, man, I was not prepared. Like yeah. I fell into, uh, yeah. it's not like I fell into the grass either. Like I fell on hard gravel and rocks. Yeah, like the, those electric bikes, they could be pretty dangerous if you're not like careful. Like mine has like three levels, and if I go to level three, I'm like, no, 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 no. like I'm very careful about that. You want to be very careful about those. Well, things. Wh- Linda, where were you when I signed up for that bike? I tell you, I needed, I needed some guidance then. Yeah, I had to learn from my friend too, because when I got my electric bike, he's the one that helped me. Because there was a moment when, it, when I even like put the motor on, and like I wasn't even on the bike, and like the bike went on by itself. Ooh. And I was like. And then he was like, Linda, don't do that. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Riding a bike ain't as easy as it sounds, kids, okay? Mm-mm. Keep them training wheels on for as long as you can. Yeah, right. not only that, there's more. Anyways, go ahead. There's more to be careful about. Like, if you're wearing a bag, like, on the handle of a regular bike, like, it can get caught in the wheel. I wore a dress when I was in Naples, Ooh. a long maxi dress that got caught in the wheel. And thank God I wasn't on the street. Like, I was on the sidewalk, but I was basically <laughs> stuck. And I had to have someone cut my dress off, you know, so I could escape. Like, 
those things also happen. Like, be very careful when riding a bike. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And my last question for you, Linda, from the listeners is, uh-oh, this one, this one I already know how it's going to be. What recent experience has made you feel old? Okay, so this one, um, oh God, I'm like coming to terms that I'm 26 years old and it's like weird. Like, like 25 felt like I still had like so much time for my career and shit. And now I'm 26. Like, I don't know if you know, but the opera career is very ageist. Oh. Like if you're like not at a certain level by the time you're 30 years old, you're looked at as like not usable, like or disposable. Yeah, it's very ageist. Like they like young people and if you are in your 30s and you don't have like a certain thing on your resume by that point, it's really hard to break into the like wow. the big leagues. So, um, yeah, I turned 26 in Opera Naples and like I was I was like things have gotten real since then. Um, and and one time <laughs> I was teaching a student, you know, the song um, Jar of Hearts by uh, Christina Perry. No. OK, it's one of those like pop songs that's like a little bit emo like that came out years ago and like I was talking to my student who was like like 12 years old (laughs) and then I'm like oh let's see when this came out and it was 10 years old and I was like oh my god girl the song came out when you were two and I was like sitting there like oh my god like am I really this old like I was just like (gasps) yes it's it's so real it was just a crazy moment because like that was a song that I used to jam out to and like listen to in my emo days and like cry about a boy that like I barely knew like you know and like this song I was teaching her now and like it was also a song that they were listening to too you know it wasn't like an unknown song but the fact that it was that old and it came out when I was a kid I was like I was like what you know that was weird it's so weird when you speak to young people now about like how things used to be because it's not that far back, but it's really far back. Like if you're talking to someone who's 18 about something from 10 years ago, you got to understand they were eight. So yeah, like, yeah, it's very you know, I, like, I remember I was having a conversation and I was talking about, I think I was talking about outcasts and I said, shake it like a Polaroid picture, right? That's from outcast. That's from Hey Ya. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, what? A yeah. what picture? Uh, uh, huh? And I'm looking and I'm just like, okay, I thought about it. At first I was hurt, but I was like, okay, if you're 18 right now, you don't know about Polaroid pictures. You grew up with the phone being able to take all the pictures for you. That's fine. But you don't know the music group Outcast. And I had to think in 2004, that's when that, that song came out. Like, and that's not that far long ago, but it's really long ago. Yeah, <laughs> and I just get yeah. like humbled, like, dang, like these young kids, they really just don't know about this stuff. Yeah. I also think like when I work with students, like kids and I get a new student or like I'm working at a school, like <laughs> when I hear like the year that they were born, like they were born <laughs> in 2005, they were born in 2010, like I'm literally like, wait, what? Like, I'm just like... <laughs> You were born in 2010. Like, I just, like, start, like, because I'm a 90s baby, you know? Like, so I just kind of, like, I get, like, so perplexed. I was like, you were born after 2000? Like, and, and it just, it's a weird feeling for me. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, gra- I graduated high school in 2010. 
So imagine somebody being born then, right? Just like, yeah. what? Yeah. It's very weird. <laughs> yes. It was definitely a weird moment for me when I realized I stopped being the youngest person, like, around. Yeah. Right? Isn't that such a weird thing? Like, you used to be in, like, if you're the youngest in the family or if you're the youngest of your classmates or, you know, at your first job, right? You first get the job, you're the youngest one there. Yeah. And then... You realize they people are younger than you. You're just like so weird. Like, yeah. huh? Like I'm older than you, and I'm only twenty. Like what? Yeah, yeah. And, and it only gets worse. <laughs> yeah, that's like that's like something. I'm still like the youngest in like my groups typically in like the upper world, but like I know that that's gonna that time is gonna be over soon. So I'm just kind of like, wow. It's just a very weird feeling. I'm just yes. like, wow. it's confusing. Yeah, it is really weird. <laughs> Yeah. It is. And see, I'm older than you and I'm taking it in stride. See, so all we got to do is we got to take it in stride. Take it in stride, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> all right. So, Linda, one of my final questions for you today to wrap a bow around this great conversation that we've had is, what is one thing that you would like to leave the listeners with as a piece of advice, a life jewel, or just something very, very important that you would like to express to leave the listeners with just a little bit of uh, a little Linda nugget before we end our interview today. Um, I guess like if something interests you, like don't let your ego get in the way of exploring that because like I'm only an opera singer because somehow at the age of 13, I brought up the courage to do a singing audition for LaGuardia high school. I didn't sing for a soul. I didn't sing for anyone. I was very self-conscious. I thought I sucked. And I just went in an audition that I somehow got in and now I'm an opera singer, you know? So it's like, even if you are in your fifties or sixties, like if you are interested in learning piano or learning like a new skill, like it really never is too late, you know? And like, if anything, like learning these skills, not even like, they're not even necessarily so you become famous. Like they are for your well being, for your mental health, for your happiness, you know, like, just do it, you know, just give it a try. Um, don't ever let your ego get in the way of like trying out new things. All right. I love that. I love that. I think that's a great message and I appreciate you bringing that to the show. So before we get out of here though, I would love for you, Linda, to reiterate your name, to reiterate all the places that the people can find you. And also if you are in New York at any time, let a bro know, and I will come out to the show. I just want to let I let I want to let you know that if you need some Aww. BX representation in an opera in an opera house, I'm there and I got you. Okay, I will be That's there. I'm gonna okay, my, I'm gonna add you to my email list. Add me to the email list. You you, you have to put people who support you in your in your circle. Anyways, uh -huh. um, but uh, yeah. So my name is Linda Coyaso. Um, my social media. Do I say it again? The social media. Somewhere? Yes. Yeah, so my Instagram is Linda Ritza, R-I-T-Z as in Zebra A. My website is lindacoyaso.com, L-I-N-D-A-C-O-L-L-A-Z as in Zebra O.com. Um, my Facebook, same thing, Linda Colazzo, comma, mezzo, soprano, M-E-Z as in Zebra, Z as in Zebra O. Um, and yeah, YouTube, you just look up my name, you'll find a bunch of things. Um, and... Yeah, that's I think that's about that's about it. Um, you can sign up for my email list if you want to um, on my website in the contact page. Um, and yeah, I, I am in New York right now and I'm perf 
performing next month, I think, for a couple of things. I'm going to be performing in schools with the Bronx Arts Ensemble. Um, so I will keep you in the loop. And if you follow me on Instagram and Facebook and are on my email list, you will also get notified about those things. Um, but yeah, that's that's what's coming up for me. And that's how you can stay in touch. All right. Great. Great. And lastly, very lastly, it is tradition on the Bronx Buys podcast. It's tradition around here that we allow our guest to choose a song that we end our podcast with. So, Miss Linda, the honor is yours. What song would you like to play for the good people out there? So it's by Bad Bunny. It's called Antes Que Se Acabe. I think that's why it's Antes Que Se Acabe. Um, and it's like a beautiful song. I listened to it when I was in Opera Naples, when I was getting like a real case of imposter syndrome. And I was also getting like really... Um, homesick um but the song is just about enjoying your life until you die and um finding the good in your life that's that's the point of the song all yeah. right well that is a great song thank you i've never heard it so it'll mm -hmm. be my first time hearing it too and hopefully i'm inspired by it i live in the bronx i know a little bit of spanish okay don't, <laughs> don't sleep on me but it has been a pleasure to have you, Linda. I really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to me. I wish you nothing but success in the future. And I really appreciate it again, this conversation that we had today. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Denzel. This was so fun. All right. You have a great one. And again, if you need me, I'm there. BX can represent for you. If you need some BX in the house at your latest opera gig, I'm there. Okay, I got you. <laughs> okay. Round of applause for my guest for today, the opera singer and teacher from the Bronx, Linda Coyazzo. Round of applause. <laughs> and that, guys, will wrap it up. Episode number 94. Five of the Bronx Buys podcast is in the books. I'm your host once again. My name is Den Zell. I want to say a special, special, special thank you to my guest for today, Miss Linda Collasso, Bronx-based opera singer and teacher. I really appreciate the conversation we had. And if you need me, just let me know. The BX will be in the building for you. Don't ever want you to forget that. I want to say thank you to everyone who tunes in who likes, who subscribes, who shares, and who supports. Thank you to everyone who is active and engaging with me on the social media platforms. Please do not forget your boy Denzel has official Bronx Bias Podcast merchandise available for purchase and the brand new Bronx Bias blog. The website where both of those items can be found is bronxbiaspod.com. Come check it out. Come mess with me on there. All the support that I can receive from you guys is very, very, very important to the life and the vitality of the show. If you are a writer or an artist of any kind and you would like to somewhere to display or publish your work, the Bronx Bias blog could be the place for you. If you are interested, you can contact me via DM on social media or you can fill out the contact form. That is on the site, bronxbiaspod.com, and I look forward to working with any person who wants to, and let's help grow this joint together. Lastly, 
going to fade you out with a great, great, great song, which is my guest, Linda Collazo's Choice. And it is called Antes Que Se Acabe by Bad Bunny off of the album El Ultimo Tour del Mundo. And this has been the Bronx Bias Podcast, episode number 95. Have a great week. Have a great weekend out there. And I'll speak to you guys next week. We are out. Y que reciban de mí siempre paz, mucha paz, pero sobre todo mucho, 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 mucho. Yeah, 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 un día bien, al otro mal. Hacia la vida y eso no va a cambiar A veces para sonreír hay que llorar Cierra los ojos y aprende a volar ah. Y antes que se acabe todo esto Voy a vivir mi vida sin memoria con tanto Y hoy quiero alcohol y sexo en exceso Para darte problemas mejor te doy un beso Y antes que se acabe todo esto Voy a vivir mi vida sin memoria con tanto Y hoy quiero alcohol y sexo en exceso Para darte problemas me darte
favor, favor, favor. 